you're seated, you can turn in your copy of the scriptures to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, we'll be looking at the whole 11 verses of this chapter tonight. Revelation 4, verse 1. Hear now God's word. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the twenty-four thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there, were, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on, seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They cast their crown before the, before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Well, let's pray one final time and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. In one sense, your word is, is, is like this heaven being opened, that you, you open uh, your uh, revelation to us. You, you help us to see your world from your perspective uh, and, and invite us uh, into a relationship uh, with yourself. We thank you for this mercy. We thank you for this time uh, to reflect on this passage here of this wonderful scene uh, in heaven that John saw. Uh, bless this, Lord. Open our eyes to behold wonderful truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In our uh, apocalyptic journey that John is taking us on, we arrive this evening uh, to a new section in the book of Revelation that we noted in terms of the structure of the book that these series of seven are important. The seven churches, 
and we'll go on to the seven seals and so forth. But uh, there are introductions and interludes throughout uh, in these sections that are just as important. And we saw that chapter 1, in in many ways, is an introduction to the letters uh, in chapters 2 to 3, that that vision of the Son of Man that John sees, Jesus walking among the the candlesticks, the lampstands, sets us up and and is alluded to throughout uh, chapters 2 and 3. And so as we come to chapters 4 and 5, they are really the the introduction to the next series of 7. But in many ways, chapters 4 and 5 are are the introduction to the rest of the book. As one writer notes, they they are a fulcrum, the fulcrum of the book. That the reign of God in Christ gives perspective to all that follows. So what's the point? Before we enter all the judgment cycles which are to come, the rise of the beast and the harlot, the persecution of the saints, the final battle, before we go there, we enter heaven and we get a glimpse of God on his throne. That chapter 4 reveals to us God as creator. Chapter 5 reveals to us Christ as the redeemer. And that those two visions, which are in many ways one vision, are to frame our reading of the rest of the book. That the purpose, as one commentator notes, both is this. Both chapters 4 and 5 are intended to elicit praise and awe from the hearers so that they reverence and fear the Lord and his Christ instead of being struck with awe by the emperor, the two beasts, and the whore of Babylon. So many creatures will appear in the book of Revelation and they could inspire awe and even worship, as we'll see. But we are given here a vision of God on his throne, and we are shown that he and he alone is worthy of worship. And so tonight, our goal is very simple. We're to gaze at God's grandeur and give him glory. We're to gaze at God's grandeur and give him glory. Chapters 4 and 5 are some of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation. Few other places in the scripture give us such a grand picture of God as our creator and redeemer than in these chapters. It lifts our minds and eyes to heaven to see our great God, and we will do well to spend some time there. So my goal is to simply walk us through this this vision that John sees that we will also see something of God's glory and that will increase our worship of our God. So on your handout, you'll see the, the first number one there is the open door. It's our first scene that we see. John says, He looked and behold, a door stood uh, open in heaven. And before we get to the door, it's important to note an interpretation of the book of Revelation, a dispensational interpretation that is very popular, and I thought it's important to address it here because they are going to interpret those first words after this in a unique way. And so before we jump into the open door, I want to mention this view and offer a criticism of it. That in a dispensational reading of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 reveal Jesus' work among his church. Chapter 5 signals the rapture of the church, that the church is removed 
And their argument is that the church by name is never mentioned until Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And so God uh, is taking his church and he is uh, focused on ethnic Israel in the rest of the book. And so they're going to read the book of Revelation in a chronological way, and so they read chapters 2 and 3 chronologically, that this is the church, and then we're moving on to something else in the future. But I don't think that is the best way to read this section. First, this, this phrase, after this, or maybe your Bible translates after these things, That this is a literary sequencing. It's not a chronological sequencing. And what I mean by this is is that that phrase is a transition to the next vision, but says nothing of the timing between the two visions. I saw this, and then I saw this. And then after this, I saw this. That John sets forth what he sees next, not what happens next. And we know This is consistent with apocalyptic literature, as we've discussed before, that apocalyptic literature is not so much concerned with uh, putting things in chronological order, but it is is focused on a series of visions. And this phrase, after this or after these things, will be used throughout Revelation as a means of giving us the next uh, sequence of vision. For instance, chapter 7, verse 1 begins, after this, same same word there. Chapter 15, verse 5, is going to begin a, a new vision. After this, I looked, and the same in chapter 18, verse 1. So this is a, a, a very a constant refrain, after this, after these things, I saw this, and I saw that. And so that we, we read too much into that, this if we're saying that this is some, somehow chronologically next. Because what is pictured is Jesus as the Redeemer uh, in chapter 5, uh, <clears throat> which the reference there is not so much temporal. So they note that the church is raptured here. The problem is that it's never said the church is raptured here. It it just says that John was told to come up to heaven to see a vision of God. And so the reference is singular to John. And this is once again consistent with apocalyptic literature that John's going to go into heaven and see what's going on in heaven. He's going to earth. He's going to heaven. He's seeing all of these visions and he is acting like an Old Testament prophet who, who would have seen the same thing. So maybe uh, you, you know individuals or, or are familiar with this interpretation, but it's important that we had to note that there. One final comment by a commentator. There is no reference in 4.1 to the rapture of the church. The language is addressed exclusively to John and refers only to his reception of the revelations of the book. And so there's that. So John sees this open door in heaven. That's an image that we saw uh, already in the letters that Jesus promised to one of the churches that he, he, he gave to them, an open door. This symbolizes access to God. John is allowed access into heaven. God is going to show him uh, what is going on in heaven. And John says, the first voice that I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. We've already met a voice that spoke to John like a trumpet in chapter 1, verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
Verse 10, sorry. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And later on, who is speaking? The Son of Man, Jesus. So who's, who's inviting John to heaven here? It's not, none other than Jesus himself saying, come up here. And what is Jesus showing? I'm going to show you what must take place after this. That's that phrase that we analyzed in chapter 1, verse 1, that this revelation is revealed to us to show us what must take place uh, quickly or after these things. And we noted this is a reference to the book of Daniel, where Daniel was shown what was to take place in the latter days. The end of the age uh, has come. And so uh, John is invited to see these things. What, what is to take place in the culmination of redemption? And so that's put in our mind. But before he sees that, he must see God on his throne. And so that's where we go next. Secondly, in your outline, the one seated on the throne. Verse 2. I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. God's throne is mentioned 15 times in chapters 4 and 5, so it's an, it's an important theme. There is something to be emphasized uh, here that God is reigning. Two things that, that people note about this chapter. Notice first the, the comparative language, not just about uh, God's throne, but throughout the chapter you're going to see the appearance was like the appearance was like, the appearance was like. John is fishing for metaphors as he's trying to explain this, this heavenly vision. And, and he's, he's mainly, in many ways, human language can't adequately dis, uh, describe what he sees because it's out of this world. What he says is true, but not full uh, uh, language here. And so he's using lots of metaphor uh, and comparison as he uh, describes uh, this vision in heaven. And as he describes God, scholars note that, that uh, John describes God indirectly here. He avoids any sort of anthropomorphic language using human uh, terms to describe God. Now, that, now the Bible does use that, and, and so that's an okay way to describe God, but John does not use that here. And, and many commentators note that the, the point is John is emphasizing God's tr- transcendence. That it, I'm not even going to use human language to describe this one seated on the throne. God is different. God is other. God is God, not creation. Secondly, uh, interpreters note the grammar of this passage actually uh, tells us something about the meaning of the passage. Chapter 4 is filled with uh, many verbless clauses, lots of static language. And what's the point? That, that static language is, is emphasizing that God's throne is established. It's firm. It's not moving. It is. As we go in the rest of the book, many things are changing and shifting, but one thing is sure, God is reigning in heaven. He is established here. We're told in verse 3 that his appearance was like jasper and carnelian. These are, these are uh, various uh, precious rocks, precious jewels, as it were, in the ancient world. Uh, 
We really don't know exactly what these refer to. When we say Jasper, we may have a more specific reference than, than John would have had when he's giving this. So, so I don't think the point here is to, to zone in on the specific stone reference, but, but these, are, these are precious stones. They're supposed to tell us something of God's presence is, is radiant. It's, it's beautiful. It's glorious. There's a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. We, we've seen the, the rainbow in, in the Genesis text that, that we've been reading, that this is a reminder of God's uh, faithfulness, his, his promise to creation, to sustain the world. It also is just adds to the glorious picture to have a rainbow around the throne. As, uh, how do you have a rainbow, the appearance of an emerald? I don't know. Uh, this is apocalyptic literature, but it's, it's, it's uh, radiant. It's beautiful. We look to see more of the description around the throne, and, and we're told that in verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling, and peals of thunder. This is not a quiet place. This is uh, this awesome uh, God is, is reigning. This sort of harkens us back to Sinai and, and the, the, the thunder and the sound of God's presence. We're invited to see that here. And before the throne were seven uh, t- torches burning with fire. Here are these, these seven torches. And what are these seven torches? The seven spirits of God. And we've noted before that the seven spirits of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So amazingly, in chapters 4 and 5, once again, we have an emphasis on the Trinity, that, that, that God, the Father, is reigning. Here is the Holy Spirit, and as we'll see in chapter 5, the Lamb, Jesus, is also present. So this is another Trinitarian vision here. And before the throne, verse 6, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Uh, The sea can have a, a, a negative connotation of this tempestuous, unknown thing, but here the, 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 the sea of glass is, is static. It's austere. It's like crystal. It adds uh, to the imagery here that John is describing. So that's the one seated on the throne. Next, we come to the 24 elders. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the throne were 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their head. And so there's one throne in the center, but around this throne are 24 thrones, and seated on these 24 thrones are 24 elders. And so immediately we we have to ask, who are these elders? What are they? And there are many interesting interpretations of of these elders that we don't need to know uh, them all. Some think these are a reference uh, both to the 12 tribes of Israel and to the 12 apostles because those are uh, both the foundation and the gates of the new Jerusalem. Some see this as a reference to the church. Some see these uh, as angelic beings in some way because they are distinguished from from the redeemed. When you go to chapter 7, 
we see that, that vision of the multitude from, from every tongue, tribe, and nation uh, redeemed, and the elders are distinct from them. And so they, they, they explain who those redeemed are. But nevertheless, they wear white robes and they, they wear golden crowns. And where, where have we seen white robes and crowns before? Uh, these are promised to the overcomers, to the conquerors in the letters. And so in one way, uh, they're dressed like the saints. Even though they, they seem to be distinguished at them uh, at some point. And not every, and, and, and there are other individuals that wear golden crowns in Revelation that aren't necessarily uh, godly. Uh, but wearing white robes and wearing golden crowns does seem to associate these people uh, with the people of God. So likely these are some heaven, apocalyptic way of, of some heavenly beings who represent the people of God. As one scholar notes, the number 24 can best be related to multiples of 12 that are used for God's people. So multiples of 12 throughout Revelation are used for God's people. We'll meet the 144,000 in chapter 7, and so that is derived from a multiple of 12. And so the 24 elders is a multiple of 12, and they're dressed like the saints, and so some way they're the heavenly beings who represent so what, are, what is their function in the book of Revelation? Well, they show the future glory of the saints. This is what the overcomer has promised. You, you will wear a white robe. You will, you will wear a golden crown. You will be in the presence of God. They, they exemplify what true worship is, and we'll come to that later in the passage. And thirdly, they're going to be used throughout Revelation to interpret visions for, for John. And so John will interact with these 24 elders as he, he goes on his apocalyptic journey. So th- that is the 24 elders. So from the strange to the strangers, we, we move to the four living creatures. And, and it, I must note here that there's an important Old Testament background here that, that John sees four uh, living creatures that each has its own distinct face of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle flying. Uh, and John is clearly uh, alluding to and borrowing from Ezekiel chapter 1. It's very tempting for me to delve into the... the the details of this illusion, but I've uh, tried to exercise self-control. And, 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 but Ezekiel 1 is the most important background, but as we'll see, John is combining multiple backgrounds uh, from, from other visions of God on his throne. And so the, the cherub, in, in, uh, as, we, as they're known in, in Ezekiel, uh, they're, they're described similarly, uh, but differently than the way John describes them. That Ezekiel had them each have four faces of all these creatures. Uh, John has one creature represented with, with one uh, uh, creature. John gives them six wings. And so these are majestic beings. The, the, there's... Uh, they're around the throne. They're by the throne. They're full of eyes all around and within. 
Once again, uh, apocalyptic literature, you know, you, you can't make a movie out of this. You, you can't actually, the point isn't to be able to create a, a drawing of what is said, but to understand the imagery here. They're full of eyes. They have six wings. Ezekiel has, has uh, the, the cherubim associated with uh, wheels, and the eyes are on the wheels. And the point there is, is this is God's throne and it has wheels because in Ezekiel, day, God is moving out of the temple in judgment. But there is no wheels here because God's throne is established. This is God's throne in heaven. And these creatures worship God day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You may know, where is this a reference to? Isaiah 6, and this is the seraphim now uh, in Isaiah's vision who, who praise God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what it says in Isaiah 6. Here they, the creatures say, Who was and is and is to come, which harkens back to the description of God in chapter 1, that God is the one who was and is and is to come. So, so they surround the throne of God. They, they're full of eyes which show their, their intelligence, their knowledge. And they're worshiping God day and night. They don't cease. They don't have rest ever saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What, do, what is their function here? I, I, and there, once again, there are lots of interesting interpretations here, but I think the most convincing is that these represent God's creation in some way. That we, we have uh, the lion as, as, the, uh, as the glorious of the undomesticated, the wild animals, an ox as a domesticated animal, a human, mankind, the capstone of God's creation, and a bird as the, this eagle. And so we don't want to stretch those uh, too far, but I think in some ways uh, these creatures are, are, are represent, representing God's creation. The elders are representing uh, God's work of redemption. The saints, uh, these four living creatures, are representing uh, God's uh, creation and their created order. And God will use these uh, four living creatures will later summon threats on the earth as the seals are, are ripped uh, open. And so uh, <clears throat> that is the four living creatures. And now we'll bring this together finally in the worship of heaven. As representatives of the created order, the elders, uh, the four living creatures, this vision reaches its climax in this scene of worship. That John describes the throne, he describes the elders and their thrones, he describes the four living creatures. Uh, and then, and then he, we get to the end. And, the, and this is the climax of the vision of, of where it was headed. It, it was headed to worship of God. And what's the picture here? That In verse 9, When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, 
Our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So here are the four living creatures giving glory and power to God. They're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they do that, the elders are prostrating themselves before the throne, casting their crowns before the one seated on the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. That they surround the throne in worship of God. He is the creator, he is the ruler, and he rightly receives their worship. That's the point here. God is the ruler of this world. He's made everything. And these creatures in heaven, they represent the whole created world. And as the creator, he deserves soul, full worship of creation. So this worship scene that we're invited in to see in heaven in this, this open door, it's, it's a microcosm for us. It's a picture uh, of, of how the whole earth should function as we center our lives around the throne of God and we worship His name. That, that this is, this is showing us how things are to be ordered and where things are headed. And, and what an image we have here. What, what a picture. What a worship service to be a part of. There's nothing boring about this. So you see, the essential function of this passage is to teach us how to worship. And and what do we learn? Worship is to God alone. And when we worship God rightly, we, we... We, as it were, prostrate ourselves before his throne. We give him all the glory, all the honor, all the power. And and it says they gave glory and honor and power. They don't actually give that to God. They're ascribing that to God. It is already his glory, power, dominion, honor. And they're merely recognizing and ascribing to God what is already his. He is worthy. And this is important to to get in our minds and to the readers of Revelation. These elders, these creatures, they're saying He is worthy. Not the beast. Not the harlot. Not any man or created thing. not, not Not our money. Not our worldly mammon. Not our stuff. He alone is worthy of worship. And that is what this passage is teaching us. In many ways, this exposition is insufficient. But hopefully, in some way, you've seen God's glory. You've gazed at His grandeur and your then the proper response to that is to give him glory. And what does that what does that do? Well, it resets us as we go into the book of the rest of the book of Revelation. 
As we see these judgment cycles, we see all these horrific, changing, uncertain events, uh, we're to be reminded God is on his throne and he reigns. And we're to see all that is to come through this vision. And it functions the same uh, for our life, that uh, before you enter your life and enter your world this week, and, and all the change, all the sifting, all the uncertainty, uh, John invites us, look into heaven. God reigns. He's static. He's not changing. Your, your life may change greatly. In a matter of hours, God does not change. He is on his throne. And that resets our mind. And it helps us view our lives from that heavenly a perspective, and give God the proper glory that is due his name. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, human language pales to sufficiently fully describe your glory. But yet we can know something of your glory. You've condescended to to allow us uh, to describe your ways in human language. We, We thank you for this mercy. We thank you for the Holy Spirit which brings uh, illumination. May our hearts have entered into heaven this evening and seen you as the reigning king and give you the worship due your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.